Hello and welcome to The Entrepreneurs on Monocle Radio, the show all about inspiring people, innovative companies and fresh ideas in global business. Today's programme is all about Danish fashion. First, we meet the designer behind one of Copenhagen's most beloved women's wear labels. I always try and close the door when I start designing with my team and, and try to feel what I think is the right approach to the upcoming season. Then we meet the founder of a fashion brand using abandoned festival tents to make garments. People are very surprised when they see clothes made from tents, like it doesn't go well together in their mind, but then they understand like this is a good resource, why not? And later we discuss the importance of investing in quality menswear with the owner of a heritage boutique in the capital. We are not fast fashion. It is too expensive to buy cheap stuff. Good stuff has a better variability on the long run and it pays better. That's all ahead on The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs, and we have a very special programme for you this week. I'm delighted to say I welcome to the studio now Monocle's own Tom Webb, freshly returned from the Copenhagen International Fashion Fair, the longest-running such fair in Northern Europe, I gather, Tom. And Monocle had quite the presence, didn't it, in the Danish capital? We certainly did. Is it a special programme because I'm here, or is it the contents? A little from column A, a little from column B, Tom. But do go on and answer the question I asked. (laughs) I am back from Copenhagen. Thank you very much for sending me, by the way. It's the best work trip I've ever been on. Wow. Absolutely. Just gorgeous from start to finish. This was in the Bella Centre, which is just south of the city. Now, it doesn't sound very awe-inspiring. However, they turned the venue into the most beautiful fashion hub. And in the centre of this venue was, would you believe it, a monocle pop-up shop to the detail that you would just not believe. We're talking about the Chilton Street Cafe. Now, it wasn't a cafe in the sense that we had coffee inside. We had a pop-up radio studio and a fine studio. We had two, four mics, soundproofed. We had little cobbled pavements outside. And we had speakers set out all around. So every time we did an interview, people flocked to us to see what was going on inside our little glass. I thought you were going to say, to say, turn that racket down. (laughs) But people should, I don't know if they can Google this or whether, I don't know, but it's a full recreation of the Chilton Street Monocle shop front, an incredible bit of work. And that was really just the beginning, Tom, wasn't it, of the story? As you said, it it looked the part, it sounded great. But you guys met all sorts of terrific people, both who were there on fair business, but who popped in to say hello. And we're going to hear, I gather, from some of those today. We are. The special thing about the Copenhagen International Fashion Fair is you don't just have big brands and designers and buyers, but you also have people from the world of trade. You have governments, you have chambers of commerce. So we really had the most wonderful access to the biggest names in fashion around the world. Now, one of the biggest, and she was so beautiful when she arrived. This is Steiner Goya. She's the designer and founder of the eponymous Steiner Goya label. The brand were there showing their latest collection artwork at the event. Now, it wasn't just me at the event. We had Nick Manise and we also had our fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi. She actually caught up with the husband and wife team behind the label. And she started out by asking, what was the inspiration for the latest collection? Last season, we invited the audience to come and watch the show in the street where we live here in Copenhagen. And 
this season we thought it would be really nice to invite people even closer to us. So we did the show in our studio in Copenhagen because we wanted people to get to know us also as a company and to get to know who we work with, the team that we work with. So we didn't have to look far for inspiration. It was all within the colorful headquarter of ours. The prints that we did for the collection was literally um, hand-drawn prints of the staircase of the building, the showroom that we have in the studio. And then we collaborated with an artist called David Risley. He's actually British born, but lives here. And he captured beautifully some of our team members in his very lovely um, watercolor paintings. And that was hanging on the wall. So it's kind of an exhibition as well when, when people came in. And it's interesting, the brand has grown so much since the first time we met. You now have a shop in London, you're selling all across the US. But is it important that as you grow, you still keep people close to you and open your personal space and, and maintain that sense of intimacy? Yeah, I, I think for us it makes a lot of sense because, as you said in the beginning, the brand has Dina's name. And we feel that the personality of the brand is very much carried out through Stina. So we believe it's kind of what also makes us different from a lot of other brands that we want to open up, show who we are, our values, how we work, the people we work with. And um, I think growing so much, becoming more international, you also realize that you are a tiny little player in a huge international fashion scene and then you need actually to understand even deeper who you are in order to keep yourself and in order to also be convincing your audience about why are we here if you know what I mean so I think it's a little bit of counter reaction on becoming more and more international and we try to get closer and closer to the core of, of who we are and show it Talking to some of the editors that are passing by here at SIF and buyers, the general consensus was this was one of your best collections to date. And I found quite interesting that, of course, there was artwork and pattern, which is your signature, but you've toned things down a little bit and played with, with more muted colors. Tell me about this new mood and, and what you are feeling this season. I always try and close the door when I start designing with my team and, and try to feel what I think is the right approach to the upcoming season. And I think with this one, I really wanted to work with different tones of the same color and the way that you could style it together. And I like to f always focus on few very strong colors. And in this season, I work with the red okra, which I think was really uh, powerful and then I had some blues in and um, and then a lot of browner tones and I think colors is so much you know that it can be both very bright and powerful colors but it can also be in the way that you use it in the styling that you tone it down which is was more subtle and it is a winter collection which I think also we normally work with a bit of darker colors with that. I think it was extremely well received and for good reason. I know that apart from launching this collection this week, you've got a lot more exciting projects coming up later in the year. Tell me a little bit about what we should be expecting. I 
think next year will be exciting, of course, in terms of the development of the collections. And as you say, there is a feeling of a more uh, toned down color-wise for this season. So I think we will also see a development in the collection, but we also have a very exciting project coming up uh, next year. We are invited to curate an exhibition in a museum called Kunsten in Olbo. It's a very amazing building from the architect Alva Alto. And it's a huge space and they asked uh, Stine to curate from their art uh, collection a huge building, which of course we are proud and humble about that because it's not an easy task, you know, to choose from 4,000 art pieces. art pieces. And that will happen in November next year. Uh, and we look very much forward to it. And it's so nicely linked to who we are, how we work, and where we get a lot of inspiration in the brand. Yeah, you're always teaming up with, I mean, you've done a collaboration with Georg Jensen and tried your hand at jewelry. You're always working with architects and artists, like you mentioned earlier. Is that what keeps you going and keeps you inspired also doing projects outside of, of fashion and those core collections that you have to design every year? Yeah, I, I do love to search for inspiration through artists. And it's always been in the core of my creativity is to get inspired by art. So yeah, I love to do things like this collaboration with the Art Museum, but also working with David for this season. I think it definitely opens up my eyes to new inspiration. And a lot of the conversations we've been having here, and I think in the industry as a whole, is that the definition of what it is to have a fashion brand is really expanding to other sectors, other projects. Have you found that that's true in, in your case as well? I think in, in many ways we have always been quite open to other sectors and businesses. As you said, we have been working with so many different people and companies throughout the year from architects to uh, jewelry to art so for us it has been part of of how we are working but it's really uh, something that is happening at the moment that all sectors are looking towards each other and find ways to grow and find ways to get inspired from each other and we, this is also why this museum is asking us because they want something that we can do and we want something that they have so it's a nice combination with uh, a lot of excitement because you also have to be true to where you come from so a museum has to be a museum inviting a commercial brand like we are into the halls of a museum of course is challenging but also very interesting and everybody is kind of also curious about how can we how can make we do it? <laughs> how can we do it? Yeah. So it's very exciting. Very exciting. I guess this is very typical of Copenhagen because there's such a collaborative spirit here. What do you make also of the younger designers that I know there's a lot of support from more established names like you. Now there's uh, all these newer names coming onto the scene this season. There's been a lot of focus on them. How do you feel about the evolution of Copenhagen Fashion Week and the fashion scene here? I think it's super exciting and very needed as well. And I'm really hopeful for the new designers. I think it's definitely a new scene and I can see that there is an audience for it. So I'm really 
Yeah, I'm really supportive in terms of also, I would love to also give my help to them in a way to support them in their way, because I know how difficult it is in the beginning. I also had challenges for years uh, in the beginning just to get the things going, because I think the PR situation can be enormous, but then you also have to have all the backbones in a steady place as well. And finally, to go back to the brand and your plans around the collections, what else is coming up? I know you've brightened up Soho in London with your shop. The distribution is growing. What should we expect uh, for the rest of the year? I think this year is a year where everybody is curious about how is the world going to develop and how is the market going to be. So I think we have a lot of plans and we have also plans to open up in US and it has been a plan for a year or more that was part of opening up in London and then try to do a little bit the same in US. I think we will probably wait a little bit until the markets are stabilizing a bit more and we know a bit more where we are going. But the plans are the same, you know, we want to grow the US market especially. We have a great success in UK, also in US, but potential over there and the focus is maybe even more important for us now than it has ever been that we want these two markets to be good and uh, important market for us. That was Stina Goya and Thomas Goyerhertz, the couple behind the eponymous label, in conversation with Monocle's Natalie Teodosi. And you can learn more about the brand by heading to stinagoya.com. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs. You are listening to The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards, still with me for this very special edition of the show. It's my colleague, the very good Tom Webb, fresh back from Copenhagen. Tom, loved hearing that last chat and such an amazing cast of characters. We we heard from some of them on our live programming during your stint in Denmark. But yeah, they kept calling by. Who else have you got up your well-tailored sleeve for us? They did keep coming by and we had to cancel some of them because we were so popular. This is not the first time I've been on The Entrepreneurs because at the Christmas market in Zurich, I interviewed a fashion label that make clothes out of plastic bottles which doesn't have many plastic bottles, which was the big joke. However, I caught up with another fashion brand in Copenhagen. Now, it's not plastic bottles. This time, it's discarded festival tents, which is a lot bigger market to start making clothes from. Fascinating chats about sustainability and fashion. There wasn't a single brand there who didn't have a story about sustainability, but this was by far the best. Now, I caught up with Barbara Sura. She's the co-founder and CEO of a brand called R-Shift. Now, I began by asking what makes it an activistic brand and what you have to do to qualify for that label. What we do is yeah, raise awareness about the issues in the fashion industry and that's by actually reusing different materials and now using the festival tents to really encourage people to reuse what they have but also have a mindset that's a bit shifted. That's why also our name is Our Shift because we want to encourage the shift in people. How big a problem is the issue of festival tents? Is it massive or is it very, very tiny? 
Well, I'd say it's massive. Uh, depends on the country, of course, but here in Denmark, but we also know that uh, in the UK or Netherlands and Germany, the problem is crazy and people just don't bring their tents back home when uh, they are done with the festival at the end. And that creates a huge issue because then you see mountains of the tents just lying and then they all go to waste. They get burned or landfilled. And that's what we also try to change and yeah raise awareness about this issue so you're taking these tents and you're turning them into clothes now in my mind i've got someone waddling shaped in a sort of triangular form in a sort of plasticky awkward way how how is the material actually turning into something that feels nice So first step after collecting the tents is to send them into industrial washing machines. That's very necessary after a long festival days. And then it goes to our studio where we analyze the tents, feel the material, like we have already found out what kind of clothes and garments to make from each individual tent. So now we think, okay, like this, for example, based on the quality of it, we see like this is good for a jacket or this one would be better for a bag. So we already know this and we are a fashion brand. So uh, you don't have to imagine yourself just in a triangular shape, but it actually has a good form and you wouldn't believe what kind of tents people have. Sometimes the fabric is super nice. It has cool prints or the colors are really yeah, inviting to look at. And where does the fashion and design element come into play? Who is turning this into something that looks actually beyond a regular jacket? Uh, well, I'm lucky enough to have a co-founder, Milan Flicek, who is a fashion designer. So it comes from his creative mind, what to actually make from the tents. And I think for him, the process is that he looks at the tent, the color, the material and sees, all right, like this could actually go well with the collection and I can make jackets and pants from this one. So. And what has the response been? Well, it's been crazy here actually at SIF because we also have a pitched tent in front of our booth. So that itself attracts lots of attention, but also people are very surprised when they see clothes made from tents like it doesn't go well together in their mind but then they understand like this is a good resource that we can still use so why not so the response has been great and very positive let's talk numbers how many tents in a jumper (laughs) well i would say sometimes it can be half a tent depends on the size of the tent sometimes if you have a tent for two people you can make even like three jackets from that. And yeah. how many tents have been through your washing machine so far? Uh, so far we've collected, I'd say, 700 tents. And you've been around for how long? For two years now. For two years, 350 tents a year. Are you expanding or are you keeping at this level? Yeah, we expect to expand because we have now a deal with Roskiller Festival, the local festival here, and we want to make the collection more advanced, not just handpicking by ourselves, but also like use some technology with that. That was Babora Sura, the co-founder and CEO of Our Shift. You can find out more about the business by heading to OurShiftBrand.com. You are listening to a special edition of The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. 
featuring a special appearance by my near namesake, Tom Webb. Tom, as we said, we've been, well, you've been at SIF Monocle Radio reporting from there. Various dispatches, people may have read and seen them on some of our other platforms, maybe in the Monocle Minute, to which they should sign up. It may appear in Monocle Magazine. At some point in the future, to which they should subscribe. You get where I'm going with this. But for now, keep your ears on the Entrepreneurs Programme. Tom, it was very busy, but you spoke to many people. You have another chat to tell us about. We're saving the best till last. Now, the beauty about going to these events is meeting people face-to-face and catching people you wouldn't normally ever speak to. Now, I've still got my journalistic principles when I'm at these events, and I spotted this guy from 100 metres away, and he was so monocle I had to grab him and find out more. Now, I was completely right in my instinct. He was the perfect gentleman, and he had the most incredible background, which we will get now. His name is Klaus Fredriksen. He is the owner of Trollstra, a menswear store in Copenhagen. And it's not just any old menswear store. I started out by asking him what makes it such a special landmark in the city. The speciality about our store is that we are focused very much on menswear, but specifically on bringing the best menswear within each menswear category. So we have a few brands, of course. We have around 120 brands, but we try to cater with the best selection of menswear within shirts, within outerwear, within shoes, within everything. Whether it's from the UK, whether it's from Germany, whether it's from Italy, whether it's from Denmark, from the US. And the same goes, as a matter of fact, also for shoes. So uh, it's a curated store, but it's a slightly bigger store. And the heritage of the store has been intrinsically linked to menswear from the very beginning. Now, you're not a generation of the owner, but you have popped in and you're now the custodian. So how did this building begin its life? It began in 1908 when uh, Christian Trollstrup started the store at a very young age of 18 years, I think he was. And Steph started the store in another place. A massive store also starting in the basement, as a matter of fact, with menswear at a medium price, I would say, at that time. And then the building where the store was became in such a bad shape that they had to move from that building. For one reason or another, Mr. Trollstrup packed the whole building in coats on a scaffold. It's a four-floor building, and by coincidence, a photographer from National Geographic Society passed by, that was in 1936, took a picture of the building and sent the picture back to his agency in New York. And the picture you can Google now, uh, facade cover the coats, it's an iconic picture but it's still the same store, but in the new location where we have been since 1936. And we have just catered on with the same mentality as Mr. Trollstrup, as a matter of fact, because one of his ideas was that it is too expensive to buy cheap stuff because good stuff has a better variability on the long run and it pays better. And this is kind of the same philosophy that we are dealing with. We are not fast fashion. We have merchandise that you can wear out and come and buy a new one. We have British merchandise from Barber, for instance, which are refurbished. We have shoes which are refurbished, which we've always done. We live in a sustainability way, but this has 
always been our philosophy not to just sell a lot of stuff, but to sell good stuff that wears for ages and the customer will come back and have another of that shirt, have another of, of the barber, another of the Macintosh. So it's a different philosophy, but it has just been the philosophy for more than 100 years now. Buy cheap, buy twice. Uh, you describe this image. I have to go back to it. It's the most beautiful building. It's on the corner of a street. Now, you say four floors, but they're extremely high floors, so this building is very tall. Right. And every inch of it covered in a coat, thousands of coats. I urge you to seek out this image. But underneath those coats is the original building, and it still looks the same. Yeah. And how are you maintaining this beautiful facade? Well, when I took over the store, I also owned the building. So it was one of my key marks in order to get rid of landlords and be sure that I could preserve this diamond. So we, uh, I started to, to refurbish the facade. All the windows when I took over the store in the year 2000 was only one layer of glass. So put in thermoglass, all the floors are wooden floors, it's still that. So we just maintain it in the old traditional way, as a matter of fact. Some of the old ugly signs we have taken off and got a more discreet stop on the facade, but made by a handcraft person so that the, the, the name is there, but it's understated in a delicate way. So. We've had a few big retailers come in to this booth over the last few days. The big question is all about the future of retail. Now, how is it looking in Copenhagen? How is it looking for you? I think we are different from the rest. Uh, we are very different from the rest. We have been here for since the 1908. Uh, we'll be here for another 100 years at least. So we, uh, we went into uh, to the web business uh, five years ago. We're working now on our third version of that. 99% um, of our merchandise is on the web uh, and that's relatively massive for us with 120 suppliers. Um, for us, the internet is not a massive internet exposure and internet machine. For us, it started as a service, as a service for our existing customers. We have a lot of loyal customers that, that, that have been, that are with us all their life. So for us, for me, it started like a service. Whenever the customer was unable to come into the city for different reasons, age, sickness, had to travel, then it should be a, a viable possibility to buy merchandise for ours, for our, from our house. Uh, so it started by that, but today uh, it, it's, a, it's a good business uh, and it's definitely growing. It's been growing this, uh, this Christmas. Uh, it's been growing also uh, on, on, during the sale period. And it, it gives, based on the fact that we have 99% on, uh, on our merchandise uh, on stock, it's just as much a, a, a vehicle to give the overview to the consumer of what we have in the store. Because when I'm in the store myself, and I'm there, I'm there on, on, on some Saturdays, 
I can hear and I don't see him tell him who I am. I'm just one of the 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 the, uh, the sales representatives. The we, can hearly, boss. we can hearly, uh, we can clearly uh, get the impact also from the consumer that he comes in with his, his iPhone says, I've seen this on, on the web. I just wanted to make sure that I select the right size and the right and the right color. And it's all ages. It's our it's the young customers. Uh, from uh, colleges and from universities, and it's the old customers which are in their 70s, in their 80s, because the old customers, they are even more prepared than the young ones because they hate to be a nuisance when they come into the store. So they feel that they have to be prepared because they're a bit slower. And that they can do based on the web, which is fantastic. But also an interesting thing is that we get a lot of young customers Fast fashion is, of course, an issue, but we can feel, I can feel when I'm in a store, we get a, long, uh, of, uh, uh, a lot of young guys coming in in their early 20s, but coming for the real barber uh, outerwear, coming for the real barracuda coat, coming for a real smedley, coming for a Crocodile Jones shoes. So they want to build up their wardrobe. They don't want to buy cheap stuff, but they want to, they have their way of dressing and they want to build their wardrobe and make sure that it goes together. So these kind of guys we get in their young age when they are in university because they're conscious about menswear. And that's quite fantastic for us to see that we can see a new generation growing uh, of young guys. That was Klaus Fredriksen, the store owner of Trollstrup. And Tom, you described him in the introduction as the perfect gentleman. He sounded like exactly that, a charming fellow. He is, and if you look at his official press pictures, which hopefully will appear on the website, he has this beautiful dog nestled between his legs and all his shots. So it's, uh, he's a sweet man that loves animals. You've taken that in a direction I wasn't expecting. <laughs> you can find out more listeners about Trollstrup by heading to trollstrup.com And that's all we have time for this week on The Entrepreneurs. Tom Webb, thanks for joining us on the show. It's been jolly. It's been really jolly and I have one more thing to add. When we are back at SIF, we will bring coffee with us next time. Oh, you heard it here first, listeners. Very exciting. Book your tickets for early in 2025. As for the entrepreneurs, well, we'll be back at the same time next week. Do look out for Eureka coming away in the meantime this Friday. The programme was produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Tamsin Howard and editing assistance from Lily Austin. You can listen again and find out more about the show at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact the team, write to Laura on lrk at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening. <laughs>